This morning, we've entitled the message, and that's kind of dangerous in and of itself, the title I gave it, but Real Danger Properly, yes, Profiled. Properly Profiled. Well, for the benefit of all of us, because it's been a while with a number of interruptions that have gone on, and you might want to turn on the lights up here, but a uh, number of things that have gone on that we might have forgotten that we were in the book of Titus, because we've had a number of different interruptions that have come. But we're, we are expositing, and that's our purpose in this church. It is expository preaching to go verse by verse, book by book, to interpret the scriptures literally, historically, grammatically, and to allow the Spirit of God to use it in our lives. I will do a very quick review, and I would suggest to you, you might turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. I will not read those verses, but you can bounce over them to see what we've already learned and where we're at in Titus. It's very important to our subject this morning. It is the Apostle Paul who is writing to Titus in this book, and he's writing to Titus, who is a Gentile. This is the second last letter that the Apostle Paul will have opportunity to write before the Lord takes him home in his death. Titus himself was probably a convert, we have learned, from the Apostle Paul. And he was a trusted and very capable co-laborer. He is now on the island of Crete, and that kind of puts the ge geography together for us and the writer of the letter and the recipient. And if you scan verses 1 through 4, in that passage, Paul reminded us of three important events, one of which I want to emphasize this morning. As he's writing to Titus, he says that God is sovereign right away. You'll notice that we are chosen of God. And he, he brought that right out as he began to address it. He wanted to remind Titus of the sovereignty of God over things. We can lose track of that when we get caught up in the daily routine and things are happening. We wonder if God is in control. Second thing he pointed out, very significant to our passage this morning, and that is, if you look at verse 2, he says, God cannot lie. If God were to lie, he would not be God. You need to understand that. Now, we take that for granted. But God cannot lie. If he can lie, you have no hope of eternal life, nor do I. There is no hope for life after death if God can lie. But he cannot. Also, he pointed out in those verses that God is the one who brings uh, grace and peace to men. People are always searching for peace. They're searching for and looking for grace, and God is the author of both of those things. And so he writes that to Titus to remind him of these things before he even addresses the things that are pertinent to his being there in Crete. Then as we came down to verse 5, we noticed why Titus was in Crete. Why was he there? Why had he arrived in that situation? And if you look at verse 5, there are two primary reasons that Titus was there and that Paul's writing to him. One, he was to set things in order, and secondly, he was appoint to appoint elders in every church. He was to set things in order. That is, he was to straighten things out. Why? There were problems, like there are anywhere. What do you mean problems? There were a lot of independent churches. There were a lot of little churches, if you will, on the island of Crete, but none of them apparently had leadership. And I will say as a, just a brief statement, 
That is becoming very common today. There are all these little churches popping up all over the place and very little leadership or qualified leadership in many situations. That was the problem on this island. And that was one of their problems. What was the result? The result was there was confusion and there was all kinds of dissension that was going on even among the believers. And so the second part of that was that Titus had a responsibility, if you look at verse 2, to appoint elders, to appoint qualified biblical leadership, spiritual leaders who could give guidance and direction how badly it was needed. And then in verses 6 through 9, we saw, which leads up to our passage, and you can scan that, we spend time as to the standards. There are biblical standards. And I will again repeat, I do not think that most churches throughout the world today are using Timothy and Titus as a basis to determine who should be in a pulpit or who should be leading. It has got very little to do with personality. It has got very little to do uh, with a lot of other things that men are looking for. Ability to raise money, ability to get people and so forth. It's got everything to do with the spiritual qualifications that are given in verses 6 through 9. And I would tell anyone that's happened to be visiting here today, or anyone that may move out of the area, such as the Riddles are moving out of the area, the Parquettes are moving out of the area, and I had a conversation with Kurt just Friday uh, again as they're moving out of the area. When you're looking for a church, you can look, most people just look at what's going on in the church. The first thing you should do is sit down with the leadership and find out where they are. Are they qualified? Not are they just a good personality or is the church doing quote unquote well? Because that is God's standard. Now why do you need strong biblical leadership? And that is where we ended off. We ended in Titus chapter 1 in verse 10 in case you've forgotten. Why do you need this strong biblical leadership? And we saw and it's relevant to our message today, because there are many, not few, many, and it came down to this, false teachers who are leading many people astray. The reason you need that leadership and the reason you need these qualifications and the reason you needed Titus on that island to straighten these things out in these local churches is because there were many false teachers who had crept in. And many were being led astray. Now, having got us to that point, uh, do we really think, let me ask you a couple of questions as we start this morning now with our text. Do you really think that that's a problem today? I would say that the average Christian would say no. They do not think that false teachers are a problem in the church today. Is it anything that we're concerned about? Let us be realistic. What is it that gets you and my, me angry? What is it, let's think for a second this morning, what is it that bothers us? What is it that causes us concern? Think about that yourself right now. What is it that gets us upset? And as we get right into our notes and we get into our text, let's be honest. Are we really concerned 
And do we get upset about the things that God's concerned about? Are our priorities really in the right place? I hope you're able to answer that and say yes. Let me give you some thoughts, though, as we start to prepare you for the text and why I talk about profiling. Normally, what is it that gets us upset? What gets us concerned? What gets us angry? Is it really not those things that affect our lives personally? When we don't get our own way, be honest. If we don't get our own way, we get upset. Things don't go just the way we wanted them, we get all kinds of nervousness. We get angry. Someone cuts us in a line. You just sit there and say, praise the Lord. Right. How about this to be practical? Someone gets in a line with 20 items when it says five items or less, and you're in that line. Do you get angry about that? Sports teams, win or lose, does that get you upset? A hobby, whatever your hobby might be, if the hobby's not going right or if it is. The weather, does the weather ever get you upset? Oh, it rained again today. Oh, it's 95 degrees. Then in the winter it's going to be, oh, it's 20 below. It's what gets us upset? What gets us angry? Let me give you some examples recently that I came across. Is this not true? That right now, our nation, who we just talked about, our freedom, and currently our president is concerned about emission control? That's a major concern of his right now. Animal rights, the environment, and I'll be honest, right in our midst here, right in this room, there's probably a number of us that are upset about those things. Let me ask you this. Are you that upset about sin? Does sin get you as angry as the environmental control? I was recently in the presence of somebody, and they made this statement. Whaling, that is, the killing of whales and the eating of a whale, is barbaric, quote unquote. Barbaric. Now, some of you may think that way. Why is it that we're not saying abortion is barbaric? Why is it that we're saving the whales and we're not saving the babies? We get so concerned about parking tickets. I'm talking about now not us, but I'm talking about offices. And there's very little concern about the corruption that's going on in our judicial system in our government. Just this past week in the area of New England, there's so much talk about Hernandez. There's so much of it. It's every day and it's all day long. Now, I don't approve of anything that he's being charged with, and let's see what happens. But I hear more people and more believers talking about him and the patriots than I hear them talking about the judgment that just came down in our Supreme Court. There's more concern about what's going to happen about a Super Bowl coming up than there is concern about decisions that are affecting families, your family, my family. 
And we can sit here and say, amen, Pastor Dan, and that's right. And that's the way we should be concerned about those things. But let me now really bring it home right to our text, where we started with. What about the body of Christ? What about the local church? I knew you were going to get there. You know, it's interesting because while we're in the century that we're in, and while we're already advanced to 2013, and while we have all these technological advances, religion has become just something to do. Sunday, if there's time, let's get to church. But if there's not, everything else comes first. And if I go to church, God ought to be happy. And it's something we view to appease God. It makes me feel good when I go. You know, there was a point in time that people didn't have the word of God. Today, that's not true. We get so much technology that everybody has it on their machines. And you can be swimming at the beach and then get out of the beach, dry off, and listen to a message and technology. And I've done my religious thing. The concept of the local church. Let me bring it home. What are our concerns? Are they what they really should be? Is it not true, and you judge this, that when it comes to the local church, these are the things that we get upset about? What? The worship format. What do you mean by that? By the way, in case you didn't notice, did you notice we changed the order of service today? There's probably some people who go out today and get upset because we did that. It's true. We get upset about the order of service. We get upset about the announcements, whether my announcement was made or it wasn't made. There are times that people go through, they sit in the service and their announcement wasn't made. They didn't hear a word of the message. They just went out of here and said, you didn't make my announcement today. Sorry, didn't do it intentionally. We get upset about it. We get upset whether there's an invitation or there's not an invitation. I'm talking about Christianity, not just necessarily Fellowship Bible Church. Let's be honest. Am I being honest or is this a proper evaluation? We get all worked up whether an invitation was given or it wasn't given. We get all worked up about how time, what the time of the service was, how long it went, what happened. Those are the things that we get all bothered about. Worship style. What was the music like? Was there a choir? Was there no choir? Did the choir wear robes? Did they not? They didn't wear robes today. Did they wear robes? They didn't wear robes. Whatever. Be honest. Do, do we not really get upset about those things? And we go around judging whether we're going to go to a church based on these things. Whether there was instruments, whether there wasn't instruments. We get bothered about programs. What do you mean? Is there a Sunday school? Is there not a Sunday school? You know, you don't have to have one here in the Bible. But people will live church, leave churches over that one. Whether or not there's prayer meeting or there's not a prayer meeting. Whether or not there's a good teen group or there's not a good teen group. Whether or not there's a good college and career group or there's not a good college and career group. Are there senior citizens there? Is there a special group for a handicap? Uh, you know, those type of situations. That is what gets us upset, be honest. All of those things. When in reality, those things result in what? Because of the concerns, because of the things that happen, gossip, complaining, people leaving churches, getting upset, and everything else that goes wrong in a local church. Really? What should be our priorities? Bob Dimlick had a great message last week, if you were here. 
You can know a lot of things about God, but if you don't know God, you haven't gone anywhere. The idea is knowing him. Our priority should not be on any of those things. Our real priority should be on knowing God, on knowing his word, on being obedient to him, on keeping harmony in the assembly, and now specifically, now we're in our text, on false teachers. That's what should be getting us concerned. Not whether a program is going or not going, not whether a particular format is there or not there, but really what should be our concern is false teachers. It did not seem to be the priority on the island of Crete, and that's why Paul was addressing it. Somehow, men can come into local churches. Listen to me carefully, please. Somehow, men get into local churches. They're well-liked. They give the people exactly what they want. They are not teaching the whole counsel of God. People never learn about subjects like false teachers. They minimize Bible doctrine and just want to stick to certain things that will make everybody happy. They even teach errors, and the people love it. And the churches grow. And they think they're pleasing God. It's frightening. There's a lot of that going on today. False teachers would be a priority of Titus, and if it's a priority of Titus and a priority of God, this is what should get us upset if there are false teachers around. Whether it's our church or any church or in the, the teachings of God. So, is it proper to profile? Well, our government doesn't think so. And we need to be careful when it just generally talk about profiling and stereotyping. But let's now identify, because Paul does that for Titus, let's identify and describe to you what the real danger is. What is the real danger to Fellowship Bible Church? What is the real danger in sh in you should be concerned about if you move away about going on in your church? It is false teachers. Now, in the broadest sense of the word, what is a false teacher? Anyone who does not teach the truth. Pretty simple. They don't teach the truth, they're teaching falsehood. That's a false teacher. Now, outside, it's pretty easy. We don't want to get concerned about those we don't think. They're pretty easy to recognize. But what about inside? What about inside? It should be a major concern. How do we detect false teachers, Pastor Dan? How was Titus to do it? How was Paul to do it? And is this practical for us today? I don't know of anyone that's walking around the streets or that's sitting in this audience. I don't see any signs that says false teacher sitting here. It's not the way it happens, folks. But it's the way we expect it to happen. They don't announce it. They don't announce, here I come as a false teacher to teach you wrong doctrine. It's not what happens, folks. And then you couple that with the fact that everybody knows what Matthew 7 says. Judge not that you be not judged. And then we couple that with that statement and say, I shouldn't be judging what the person's saying. I, I just have to, next one, love the brethren. And if it's an enemy, Pastor Dan's already taught us that. We're to love our enemy. So we just lay down our guard, right? And we just take them as they should. We want to be a peacemaker. 
Well, let me give you a couple of things right away, and then we'll get into the description. First of all, don't ever forget, John chapter 8, verse 44 says that Satan is the father of lies. What it says about a false teacher and a false prophet is this in Scripture. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, They come in, listen, as an angel of what? Light. They don't come in announcing I'm a false teacher. They try to look good because they want you to listen to them. Satan himself is referred to as an angel of light, and it says, don't be surprised if his ministers present themselves as an angel of light. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says, listen, they come in secretly. Galatians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, they are false brethren who are secretly brought in. False brethren who are secretly brought in. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 calls them, anybody know? Wolves in sheep's clothing. I'm reminding you of these texts purposely. False teachers, you can't just look at them and say, there's a false teacher. You have to listen. They come in and they look good. They know how to talk, we're going to see in just a moment. Jude 4 says they crept in unawares. People didn't even know it. Why? Because they're not upset about that. They're not upset about somebody coming in and disrupting the work. They're not upset about what somebody might teach. They take it. So what do they look like? How do we profile them? Well, he does it. So let's get into it. Their description is found in verse 10. And it's usually not what we're looking for. It's verses 10 through 16. Let me give you the first one. Jump down to verse 16. They profess what? To know God. False teachers do not come in saying that they don't know God. False teachers that you see on your TV set, that you hear on your radio, that come into local churches, that could come into this work, they could come into any work, they don't come in saying, I am a false teacher. They come in saying they know God. And immediately when we hear somebody say that, we drop our guard. Oh, they know the Lord. They said they're saved. Wonderful. And we throw everything away. These people come in saying they know God. But the problem is it's a form of godliness. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 just for a quick second. It's right nearby. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 5. By the way, notice in the last days, difficult times will come, verse 1, men will be lovers of themselves. Jump down to verse 5. It says, holding the form of godliness. This is a sign of the last days, although they have denied its power. They will have the form of godliness. Usually they seem to have the highest level of education. They know better than you. That is a danger sign. When you have some type of teacher that comes in and they've got the market on something, that they're going to wake everybody else up, watch out. Watch out. They may not even know God. But what happens is 
they profess to know God. Go back to Titus. But I want you to notice this. By their deeds, they deny him. Don't just listen to what they say. You want to listen to what they say. Take a good look at their lives. And I'm going to be very practical here today. Because back in Titus's day, things were a little different. You were dealing with Jewish myths. You were dealing with the circumcision. And I'll make a comment on that. What are you dealing with today? You're dealing with people that are coming in professing to know God who have no use for the local church. They don't even attend. They don't even want to come out. They have no use for the body of Christ other than on the side. They have no use. They have no time for God. You look at their lives. They say, I know God. Do you read the Bible? Well, when I get to it. Do you ever get involved in a local church? Ah, I get no use for organized church anymore. That's biblical. You see, and we as Christians sit back and say, that's wonderful. This person's a great teacher. Where are they leading you? Recently, I was just talking with somebody that isn't even going to church anymore. Why? No use for any local church. That person needs to be encouraged to get back into church. Why? For the sake of religious ceremony. No. They've lost perspective. What are you doing in your life? You're serving the Lord anyway? Well, no. Not doing anything. They look good. They act like the world. There are so many Christians today that want to be cool. They want to be just like the world. They want to look like the world. They want to act like the world. And you know why? Because that's what attracts people to church. They don't want to come to a boring church. What's a boring church? Someone that just studies the word of God? I don't want that. I want entertainment. The church of Jesus Christ today is absolutely saturated with that. And there are people that will smile you to death. And they will use words. I said very recently to somebody, I said, people say they're saved. I said, start asking them some questions. I said, would you believe that somebody was really saved if you turn around and said to them, I've got a couple questions for you. What is it? Do you believe that Jesus is God? No. Now do you really think they're saved? Well... That person can't be saved if they don't believe that Jesus is God. Uh, do you believe in a virgin birth? Well, yeah, that's kind of shaky. That's a false teacher. Don't just take for granted because they said they know God. You see, we get taken in by these things. And Paul is saying to Timothy, watch out. They profess to know God. Secondly, listen to this one. Right in verse 10, this is the first one he mentions. I went to the last one. In verse 10, notice he says, they are rebellious men. Now, what in the world does that mean, Pastor Dan, rebellious men? The, the word is actually this. They are insubordinate. That's what the, you look up the Greek word, that's what it means. What does that mean, Pastor Dan, insubordinate? They don't submit to authority. 
One of the biggest signs of a false teacher is they won't put themselves under the authority that God has appointed. Now, what do you mean by that? That can even happen with the government. I may not agree with the government, but he's put us under the government. When it comes to the local church, look at you don't blindly submit to everything that a leader believes in. That's not what we're saying. But if the Lord's got you in a local church, you are responsible to submit to their authority. And today, you will find that there's a lot of people professing to be Christians who won't submit to any local leadership. That's a problem. That should be a problem to us. And you say, well, I don't know. It's not a problem to me. That's what I'm trying to say to you. Christians today are bothered by the format of a service. They're bothered by this one, the color of drapes and all of this other stuff. They're not concerned about, hey, wait a minute, that person professed to know God. They want nothing to do with the, the leadership. Something's wrong. They are complainers. That's what it means. Rebellious, what does it mean? What is a rebellious child? Think about it. They won't listen to what the parents want to say. They're rebellious. They complain about everything that's going on in the house, everything that you're not doing for them, everything that comes, that's exactly what he's saying. They profess to know God, but the first qualification he gives is they won't submit to authority. They know better. That's a false teacher. They won't submit to the authority of God. They won't submit to the word of God. They won't submit to the leadership of God, and they're claiming that they are a teacher. They know God. Don't be fooled. Miriam and Aaron were an example of that. God had appointed Moses. Now, he might not have been the best leader in the world. Didn't matter. Miriam said, hey, what's going on here? Who, who, who does he think he is? I don't know. I don't think he's the only one that's gifted. By the grace of God and through Moses, Aaron and Miriam were allowed to live. She had a little bout with leprosy there for a while. She could have had her life taken. What was it? Complaining. Rebellious. In fact, that is the word that is used of Marion. She was rebellious against Moses. It's the same word that's used right here. In Israel, as it's recounted, Bob had referred to this last week, in Acts, in the book of Acts, chapter 8 particularly, and also as you go back in the Old Testament, Israel is recalled, is called a rebellious people. Why? They spoke out against the leadership of God and the leadership of God's appointed, and they complained. All three things are listed. That is the sign of a false teacher. Pastor Dan thinks that? No, Paul says, Titus, watch out. Secondly, or thirdly, excuse me, verse 10, they are empty talkers. What is that? Smooth, persuasive, clever, captivating. How many other terms do you want me to put on it? That's what it is. They are smooth talkers. They could talk you into buying something in the middle of the ocean that doesn't exist. They could talk you into buying anything that you want. You want to buy a summer home in Alaska? They'll sell you it, and they will convince you of it. Okay? They're persuasive. They are clever. That is what it means, empty talkers. 
And you know what the problem is? Go back to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 4. It's only a couple of pages away. Say, Pastor Dan, it's getting hot in here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Now watch this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You notice how that started in verse 1? I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, preach, verse 2, the word. Preach the word of God. Why? Verse 3, the time is coming in which they don't want to hear what I'm talking about this morning, and that is sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it anymore. So what do they do? Watch. They will, what? But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves, watch this, teachers in accordance with their own desires. God says that's a sign of the end times. That what's going to happen is people, rather than hearing solid biblical teaching, will start to pick and choose where they go and who they listen to so that their ears get tickled. Oh, I like that message. Oh, that's what I want to hear rather than what I need to hear. Listen, our children need to hear some things they don't want to hear. And a parent that's true and doing what they should be doing will tell them what they need, not just what they want. This day and age, religiously, dogmatically, what happens is people are looking for programs, they're looking for situations that they want, and those are the things that get them upset if they don't get it. They're not concerned about teachers as long as they tell them what they want. And you've heard this before, but in case you don't know it, seeker-friendly churches today are the ones that are growing by leaps and bounds. In case you don't know it, the whole purpose of the seeker-friendly church was to go into the neighborhoods to ask the people, what would you like us to do in the service so you will come? You give a service for them, and you will have a big church with a lot of hoopla, but you will have very few true Christians or people who really know how to live for God the way God wants. Worse, go back to Titus. Not only are they rebellious men, which means they don't want to submit, not only are they empty talkers, he says they're deceivers. That's number four. They know biblical terminology. They know what to say. They know how to tickle the ear. They know how to throw terms around. You need to be careful with that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, very quickly I'll read this, it says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the last days some will fall away from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrine of demons, by means of hypocrisy, of liars, seared in their own conscience with a branding iron, men who forbid to marry, who advocate abstaining from foods. That's legalism. That's the concept. God, God created grateful. That is going on today. That's big time today. Health and eating and everything else, there's more emphasis on that than there is on doctrine and the word of God. There are Christians who will live and die by what they eat and the exercise they get, and they're not as concerned about whether they read the word of God and what the word of God says. 
priorities are in the wrong place. Notice, by the way, in Titus, go back to Titus chapter 1, that as he talks about deceivers, he says, especially those of the circumcision. You say, well, that's the Jews. Absolutely. Because that's who he was dealing with. Where does it come today? It comes in the church. People who you think know God because they made a profession. Listen, in Acts chapter 20, the elders were warned in Ephesus what? Paul said, be concerned because of your own selves out of your local church will come deceivers, false teachers who will lead people after themselves. Who are they? Clergy. When people are standing in a pulpit, don't assume they even know God, let alone that they're going to teach you the truth. Teachers in a classroom. Hopefully, in a church like this, we guard and watch for that so that if somebody's teaching, we know we have confidence in them. But don't take for granted because somebody's teaching or somebody's a leader as a deacon or an elder or whatever. You don't just assume that. We ought to be discerning people. And you notice that he says in Titus chapter 1, he says, you know what? The, basically, the Cretans are liars, verse 12. They're liars. They lie. Totally opposite of what he taught, talked about, and that's why I emphasize it. In chapter 1, verse 2, God cannot lie. These people lie. He says that they are what? They're like beasts, evil beasts, verse 12. They're lazy gluttons. And if you summarize that, they're like animals. They don't like to work, but they do like to eat. They don't like to work, but they like to confuse people. What is the danger of people that are false teachers? Listen, verse 11. They are upsetting whole houses, whole families. That's what happens. How do they come into a local church? They come in, they win people over, they get to be liked. The next thing you know, they're winning families to their philosophies, and this group starts to disappear. That's what happens. That's what happens. And then they're upsetting houses, even within the families, which you've got as relationships. I don't know. Is this teaching right? I don't know. That one's right. Yeah, maybe with this isn't. And they're confusing people. They pay attention to myths, verse 14. They turn away people from the truth, the reality. Rather than telling you study the word of God, it's listen to them. It's listen to their doctrine. Why do they do this? Well, he tells us very clearly for sordid gain. What is that? Money. Verse 11. They are after your money. That's what it is. They're after your support. They're after your money. They don't want any connection to leadership. They don't want to submit themselves to leadership. They don't want to really submit themselves to the word of God. And they come in and they win everybody's affection. They cause confusion in a local church. And Titus says, look at these men have to be addressed. How do you take proper action? How bad can it get? Well, before I talk about the action in closing, let me just tell you how bad it can get. We are now in the year 2013. How many here believe the Lord will be coming back soon? Honestly, anybody believe that? A number of you. Is that fair to say that it would be, would be moving toward the end? 
You know what it says in Luke 18, 8? Here's what it says. When the Son of Man comes, will he find, does anybody know? Faith on the earth. What? If you believe that he's coming soon, you know what? There's a lot of false professions going on. There's a lot of false teachers. And the Lord says, when I come back, will I even find faith? What faith? True faith that knows me, that's following me. And not following after traditions, not following after legalism, not following after false teachers, not following after all that. Why? Because people are so concerned about the wrong things that they can't recognize what they should be concerned about. And when someone makes a profession of faith, it's assumed. What should be done in closing? Proper action has to be taken. And by the way, did you see the profiling? He doesn't say, you know, I better not talk about false teachers. He says, look, they're rebellious. They're empty talkers. Their lives don't line up with what they're saying. He says they are deceivers. They're looking for money. They're looking to win over people to themselves. That's a false teacher. He, he absolutely shows us what they look like. What are we to do? Ignore them? I'm amazed. I do not know how local churches and pastors of local churches, and I can't answer for any other pastor, how pastors of local churches can have the courage to stand up and teach the word of God and never warn the people and tell them what to do in strong language to correct things. Paul did it. What did he say? Look at verse 11. Who must be silenced. You stop it. They must be stopped. That's what he says. You don't let false teachers continue on. You stop them. Verse 13, you reprove them severely. You know what that says? Literally, you take a knife and you cut them out. It's like a cancer. You do not tolerate it. You do not let a false teacher teach and continue on. When you see people like that, that are causing the divisions, when you see them that they're upsetting houses, when you see them that they're not submitting to leadership, when you see them, you don't tolerate them and put your arm around them and say, this is wonderful. I'm so glad you know the Lord. You cut them off. You stop it. Why? Because you'd be concerned about the sheep. And ultimately what you want is the end of verse 13 so that they may be sound in the faith. The idea is you do this so that they would turn around. In some cases, get saved. In other cases, maybe get their doctrine corrected, but you do not tolerate it. Fact of the matter is, if you go through even church history, and you can go and look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you can look at the apostles, you can look at the saints who got martyred, strong leadership in a local church is not usually liked. They're not well-liked. Why? Because they will stand strong on the word of God. False teachers are embraced and not detected. Why? Because people want to hear what they want to hear. Bottom line, what is Paul saying to Titus? False teachers are the big problem for the church. Do not tolerate it in any way. Don't be so gullible as a Christian because somebody says they're saved. 
Listen to what they're teaching. Don't be so gullible to say that somebody's saved and then you find out they won't submit to the local church. They won't have anything to do with the things of God. That is a person that professes faith and by their life they are denying it. Don't be gullible. Why? Because you will follow down a path that will be destructive to your own family. It will be destructive to you as a person. And later on you will say, how did I get here? It's because we got concerned about the things that we shouldn't really be upset about. And we didn't get concerned about the things that are destructive to the body of Christ. My God help us to take the warning that Paul gave to Titus and be on the alert for false teachers. This doesn't mean you go around every corner, but in this church is a church that's well taught, but we need to be alert, folks, because in our day and age, we are absolutely filled with people that for money and only money, they are drawing crowds. They are drawing people away from the local churches. We have more local churches popping up with little leadership in it in this day and age than we've ever had in the history of this country or world. You go, there would be times that you go around and there were two, three churches maybe in the area. Now there's 20, there's 30. Some of them have good leadership in it, others don't, but they're growing because people are looking for the wrong things. Let's be alert, Titus was to be alert. My God help us that we might honor him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you and praise you for the warning that Paul gave to Titus to be on the alert for false teachers, those who were destroying whole houses, those who were upsetting people's faith, causing confusion. And Lord, how we need that in this day and age. I pray that you'd help us to be strong believers, not just people that profess Christ, but that our lives support it, that we live for Christ. We don't just speak words that we're concerned about the body, that we're involved in the body of Christ, that, Father, you could use us for your honor and glory. We look forward tonight, Father. We pray ahead of time for those who will be coming out that don't know Christ. We know there's some children that came out this week, and there will be some parents. And we pray that the closing program tonight would be a real challenge to their hearts, would open up their understanding, and they would come to Christ. Father, help us to be good warriors and Christians for the Lord Jesus Christ as we leave here. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. To close, I'd like you to turn to four.